0: Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? I'm I'm doing well. Thanks, Susie. I can always count on Susie to ask me if I'm asking, she's going to ask me. Um, just want to say thank you so much uh, for just blessing Justin and I there in that uh, that pre-service time, and uh, and I just want to say how much uh, we also reciprocate that and say that we appreciate this church and and this body. So much, and, and the extent to which so many people do so many things. So um, it, it certainly is the body of Christ together. Um, even I was thinking, Cal, thank you for cleaning these lights. Hey, you were the one that cleaned these lights. So if you look up, these lights are so clean. So those are like little things that I notice. Um, but those, it's, it's a great blessing. They're, uh, they look great, so thank you. There's, there's just so many things like that. Um, I want, want to also just take the opportunity to uh, just uh, welcome Stephen and Jana Fenley. They're uh, from the Summit Fargo in Fargo, um, North Dakota. They are, they're great friends of ours and uh, great comrades in arms in the ministry. And uh, they're staying with us this weekend. And uh, we just, they're, they're part of our Salt and Light family and we love um, being together. And, and one of the models of Salt and Light is we are together on mission. And, uh, and we love talking about that, and we love living that out together, so welcome here you guys. And uh, if you want to welcome them as well after, you can certainly do that. So they're, they're part of the, the ministry team in Fargo, I should also specify that, and uh, they serve with Brian and Michelle on their, their leadership team. All right, let's get into 1 Corinthians. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get back into this book this morning. Uh, I, have, I have a question for all of us to begin. Um, what is of more concern to you in these days, is it FOMO or phobo? Anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Some of you, anyone like you're like I don't have the faintest clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Before any of you state that neither of that matters to you or that you like it just doesn't matter, I, I want to make you aware that in our society now. This kind of stuff is treated like it's no laughing matter anymore for people. They take this very, very seriously. So uh, I'm going I'm to educate you. FOMO is fear of missing out. So it's worrying that others around you are having more fun and experiencing more opportunities of happiness than you are. And FOBO is now accompanying FOMO, if you're, if you're tracking with me, and causing all sorts of, of anxiety in people, it's fear of better options, and this is especially in the younger college uh, generation. This is a real thing. The fear is that by choosing something over something else will result in missing the perfect choice. So, like this is for real. That's, I'm not I'm not joking. This is stuff that's that's talked about, and so think about that. You don't want to make a choice for fear of like, well, what if I make the wrong choice? And it's not the perfect choice. So, and and we live in a world now of endless options. There's just, there's more and more and more options. And so there's this searching for lifestyle perfection that leaves people, they're paralyzed to actually make choices. And so they're not making choices. It's, we're in, we're in the midst of a series that we began a few weeks back um, in First Corinthians. We've titled it, Gospel Clarity Amidst Cultural Confusion. And the gospel is the good news for all who give their lives to follow the way of Jesus. And we desire clarity when it comes to this forming of, in our lives, this forming of Jesus in us, amidst a culture that is lost and is confused in their search for meaning. And so we want this clarity. And so since we follow Jesus in the midst of this culture, and that's our our aim, we need to be aware of being shaped by the flow of culture that will cause us to go adrift from the way of Jesus and this true life that's only found in him. How do we keep ourselves from going adrift in this world around us? And so... I know I've mentioned this um, from the start of the series, but I believe that the stakes are really high in our culture right now. That um, there's there's things that are happening and shifting that are different from the past. And the the pull of culture now is so deceptive and invasive while also being attractive and compelling. As soon as you walk out these doors this morning, as soon as you exit this building, you are going into a world where the greatest influence in your life is the culture around you. That is the thing that is always pressing in on us on every side. There's no greater influencer outside those doors. And so at the same time, while that's happening, God is always committed to renewal in his church. He is constantly wanting to bring renewal. And that's the increase of his presence in our lives, and within his church. And he's, he's beckoning us. He's saying, pursue this with everything that you have. Will you pursue this work of renewal? And so that, that leads us to 1 Corinthians 2 this morning, where we find ourselves in, in this text. And so my title this morning is Living in the Spirit. And that's, that's what really these, these verses get into and the choice that we have to either pursue this or to conclude that we can get by fine by ourselves, that somehow we'll just make it work and we'll, we'll rely on our own resources and, or we're going to live in the Spirit. And there's only two choices. Those are the two choices that we have as followers of Christ. And, and make no mistake, the pressure is real for all of us because the call to live in the Spirit goes against the culture of this age. It calls us to make choices that will not be easy. They will not be understood. People will, will, will mock. People will, will question. But God's design is that any and all sacrifice in this regard is worth it for the increase of his presence in our lives. There is nothing that you can give that won't be worth it for the increase of his presence in your midst. Paul, he, he came into Corinth and, uh, and, and we'll see this in the first few verses that we'll read this morning, but he came in and he felt the pressure of culture around him. The, the weight of, of Corinth and the weight of all the superiority and the claims of that city and that culture. And he says in verse three of chapter two that he said, I, I was there in weakness and fear and trembling. That's, that's how he came in. So Corinth... It was an intellectual gathering spot. It had intelligent, wealthy, self-proclaimed, self-made people. And, and, it, and its popularity only strengthened the claim of the people in that city. Like, why would anyone need God? That, that was the claim of Corinth. Why, why would you possibly need to serve this, this God you claim that calls you to submit your life and, and give everything to him? That was sheer folly to them. And our culture has the same marks. And like Paul, whether we recognize the depth of our need, our only option to stand against the pressure of culture, our only option is the Holy Spirit and his power. There is no other option that we have. So I want to get into the text this morning. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. If not, they'll be on the the screen, it'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 1 And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You have given us the mind of Christ, that we actually are given that as we follow you and as we come to know you more. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we unpack these verses, Lord, and as we look at what it means to be living in the Spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would open up our our minds, but even more so than that, that you would open up our hearts to understand the depth of your love and your glory. Jesus, we glorify you, we honor you. Amen. So Paul, Paul says there in verse 5, he says that his message was in the demonstration of the spirit and power. He said, so that our faith would rest in the power of God, that it wouldn't rest in anything else. This is God's heart for us here this morning. This is it for Paul. This was it for, for what he was writing, that your faith would not rest in anything other than the power of God. That it would—that is the bedrock for your faith, and what I what I think that means is that we would know that our faith is rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That we would know that to the very depths of ourselves, and that this—that truth—is the bedrock that reminds us of the reality of the power, uh, God's power in our lives that we would understand God's power at work in us because of what Jesus has done for us. Seeing the work of God within us, seeing this being solidified, being built up in our faith, seeing the power of God at work in our lives. That was Paul's heart for the people. And this is where living in the spirit, the pursuit of this as the ongoing practice of our lives becomes such an integral part following Jesus and so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about two things that living in the spirit is not and two things that living in the spirit is so living in the spirit first is not normative and in brackets in this culture so this is this is totally foreign to our culture Verse 14 says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. That there is a way that in the natural it simply will never be accepted. It's all foolishness, and the person like that, it can't, they can't understand what you're talking about. And the word they're used to describe that type of person is the same word actually that Paul uses later in 1 Corinthians 15, where he refers to describe our state before we're made alive in Christ. He says, you were natural before Christ came and set you free. And so this is our state of being. Everyone's state of being, apart from being made new in Christ, you're in the natural. We're carnal, we're worldly in every possible way. And Paul contrasts this, he says, with being spiritual. Those who have come to Christ and are being changed. But then, right after what we just read there in 1 Corinthians 3, right at the beginning, he's continuing what he's saying here. And he admits, he says, I I can't actually address you Corinthians as spiritual people. He's like, "I actually, like I want to, but I can't. He said, you're people that are, you're living in the flesh. You're people of the flesh. And it's a different word there that he uses for flesh at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 3. But it also means worldly in actions. People who come to follow Jesus, but they've reverted to behaving like those who are unbelievers. They're, they're in this state of living in the flesh. And what Paul is getting at in the Corinthians is this misaligned thinking that we can be spiritual or that we can be good Christians while living in the flesh. That, that we can kind of have it both ways. We're, we're not pursuing the transformation of the gospel in our lives. We're content to live as infants in Christ. That's what he talks about. Them. He says, you're, you're just, you're content to live as like babies in Jesus. And I, I want you to grow up to be mature in Christ. And, and there's this, we can actually convince ourselves in our, and our culture will do a wonderful job of affirming this, that we can live both ways. That we can claim to follow Christ, but we can just live in the world and, and enjoy the worldly pursuits and we're it doesn't balance this is this is the danger of cultural Christianity in the church, and it's easy it's really easy to live like this and accept this in our culture and convince ourselves that we're okay that but there's certain doors in our our Lies. We're not opening that door. I am not going there. Some some areas are off limits to the Lord. I'm really I I don't want to get into that. I don't want to yield that to the Lord. We're we're not we're not desperate for the presence of God in our lives. We're actually, if we if we stop and we think about it, we're content. We're not hungry and desperate for God to move. The comforts of this world are keeping us satisfied. Steven Pinker, he's a a Canadian psychologist who he uh, he writes in his book, uh, Enlightenment Now is a bestseller. And he says there that in in the world that we're living in right now, every metric by which you can judge where we're living, poverty, literacy, longevity of life, the death rate, and so on, he says, we're we're living in the golden age. He says, it's never been better. Like, right now, what we're living in our world, and, and he puts forth this really compelling and provocative view. He's trying to convince people, like, the world has never been better. Like, you, you just, you have it so good. And in some respects, you think about this for us, this, this can feel like the case. If you're in the right place right now in the Western Hemisphere, life can be really good. We're, we're sipping our $6 lattes, and we're doing it every day, and we think it's great, and People would, would, there's people all over the world that would just, they would love to have that kind of money just for daily needs. So like we, we there's this imbalance in the world and we can get caught up that this is, this is the way it is. We have vast disposable income that the, the world can only dream of. And it's, so it's precisely that sort of environment that can breed in us a spiritual complacency that doesn't seem to desire or see any need. Like, why would I have to live in the Spirit? Why? I've got it so good. I'm comfortable. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing good things. That's the danger of Western culture. And so, we think about this. For the vast majority of people in our culture living in the spirit it's not only not normative there's just not even a grid for this like what what are you talking about what 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 are you really talking about when we talk about living in the spirit but what stephen pinker what he misses in his book and this is this is the, the the gaping hole in that ideology and and what we'll miss if we're duped by cultural deception of, of progress is that what, it, what his book ignores is all metrics for actually for well-being, meaning, purpose, happiness, relationships, intimacy, trust, peace, joy. It doesn't touch that because his ideology can't touch that. He, he's looking at metrics that leave out a whole bunch of stuff because what it ignores is that amidst this so-called golden age, is that there's the levels of brokenness in people are increasing. And statistics will back that up. There's so much brokenness in our society. There's so much brokenness in kids. There's so much brokenness in the schools. There is vast, vast amounts of brokenness. And society cannot answer how we deal with that. And so, what these verses do is they pull us back to being centered in Jesus, being centered in his death, and the truth that we need embedded in our lives, the truth that the cross is inseparable from the ministry of the Spirit, that you cannot disconnect the cross from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's totally, totally normative in the lives of those who follow Christ. You see that here, like what Paul's writing, you're saying, this is normative, If you follow Christ, living in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, is totally normal. And our culture will dupe us into making all sorts of excuses or reasoning for why living in the Spirit isn't all that important. It's not all that necessary. And if accepted, if we we begin to be duped into that, we miss the gift of presence in our lives. Verse 9 there, quotes Isaiah 64. That the whole passage of Isaiah 64, if I would sum it up, I would say it speaks to a hunger for God's presence. That's that's what Isaiah's getting at there. And that's, that's what Paul draws from here. And it applies to us. We can't imagine. Like, can you you can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's an astounding truth. And so these things. God promises to reveal us, to us through the Spirit. As we live in the Spirit, we will come to understand the things freely given to us by God. The Spirit guides us into all truth. It's centered in Christ. So, maybe, perhaps we've actually never understood how normative this is to be in the lives of those who follow Jesus because of the second is not. And that is, living in the Spirit is not automatic professing faith in jesus does not mean that living in the spirit is an automatic addition to your lives like that it just gets sort of you you accept christ and now you're living in the spirit and it's just it's there what these verses reveal and especially what paul says at the beginning of first corinthians 3 is that we all have the potential to live in this way. Every single person in Christ has the potential to live in the Spirit. But it's not simply a given because one professes faith. So if, I, if I, I've got a, a, my Mark Shifley jersey on at, or at home, if I put that jersey on, and let's say I put on all, I have equipment and it's all Jets-themed equipment, and I put it on, and I get onto the ice, and from the back, you'd say, maybe, you know, maybe except for a couple inches of height, that that looks like Mark Shifley, from the back. Like, if I had all the right equipment, if I start skating and shooting the puck, you will clearly begin to see that I am not Mark Shifley. Like, not even remotely close to Mark Shifley. As much as in my mind, I'm probably mentally thinking I look exactly like him. Everyone went, like, it would, be a, it would be a laughingstock, especially if you put him on the ice beside me. See, now, the difference there is that I will never, ever even have the potential to play like Mark Shifley. Like, that, that's never happening. As much as I ever would want to, I could train, it doesn't matter. I'll never be Mark Shifley. But all of us have the potential to live in the Spirit. Every single person. Now, if living in the Spirit was automatic for all the Corinthians, if it just if it was just something that happened, then they wouldn't have been living in the flesh the way that Paul addresses them. When we speak of cultural Christianity, living in the Spirit is stepping away and living very, very differently from the culture around us. It is not going to look the same. It's not simply about professing faith in Jesus. It is about professing faith in Jesus, absolutely. But that's not where it ends. But surrendering to the way of Jesus, choosing to live with everything orientating around his way. Everything orientates around Jesus. Everything flows from him. This is where the truth that, you know, if... if, if where the, the truth that we believe and is true that we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus, and that's true, but that becomes dangerous if it morphs into a lifestyle that doesn't include surrender to pursuit of and desire for the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit will lead me to surrender. He'll lead me to that. He won't. That 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 has to be part of it. What Paul was, was grieved to see in the Corinthians was this, this slide into living in their flesh. This, this slide of living for the pursuit of the world, living by its values. And where Paul, he longed to pour into them as, as spiritual people. I, I would long to, you know, that you would be living in the spirit, that I wouldn't have to address you as babies in Christ. I long that you would be this way. That's, that's what he's saying here. In fact, he says later on in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, do you, like, do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not realize that his spirit is actually in you? Like this is why we can live this way. It's, He's in us. Do you realize that? And, and it's the subtle and yet detrimental slide into cultural norms that we, we have to guard against. The slide into embracing any sort of secular vision of the good life. Because at the core of, of the secular vision that will, is gripping our culture is the belief that getting in touch with my inner self, getting in touch with my true self is paramount. I've gotta get back to my true self. That my happiness, which has been redefined to what brings me pleasure, is ultimately what matters. That is what I need. And so this, the whole realm of self-care is driven by this secular vision. And yet it's completely in opposition to the Christian vision, which calls us to die to self, find ourselves in Christ and Christ alone. That's that's the problem with the overwhelming majority of this ideology of self-care, is that it excludes Jesus at the center of all things. Jesus is at the center. Rather, the secular vision, it puts me at the center of all things, this, this massive focus on self. It's a pervasive force in culture. And the reason it's so pervasive is it's after your heart. It's after this. And so we're, we're, we're seeing like this, this weird mashup in culture, if you will. Where Christianity is mixed with the secular vision. Where, uh, you know, where we want Jesus... If he can help us to get where we want, then I want Jesus. Then Jesus is great. But then we we start going down this path of living for Jesus, and we find that Jesus has an identity for me that's different than the identity that I think I should have for myself. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'm supposed to be disciple to the way of Jesus. I'm supposed to die to the way of Jesus. I have to die to self. I'm called to live by the Spirit. That goes against the secular vision of me at the center, and everything orbits around me. Being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, seeing our lives through the lens of, a Holy, the, through the, lens of the Holy Spirit, that's an intentional way of living, very intentional. But we're, what we're meant to see in these verses is that all of us, we all have the potential to live in this, but it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen It's the intentional act of submitting our lives to the way of Jesus, giving him free and total unrestricted access. Jesus, I want what you have for me. And that leads to the first is. So living in the spirit is for all of us. So after Paul warns at the beginning of chapter two against this pervasive wisdom of the world, then, then he says in verse six, he says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom although not a wisdom of this age, it's not of the rulers of this age that are doomed to pass away. And so what becomes very apparent in the rest of the, of the verses here is that there's this invitation to live in the Spirit, and it's for all of us. This, this is what is available to you. This is what's available to us. This is the reward for those who follow Jesus. So I, some of these verses here, I, I brought this into our Hearing God course this year and, uh, and change some things around because I wanted to highlight what the Scripture says about this incredible promise that through the Holy Spirit, God will reveal His will to us. It's through the Holy Spirit in you that you learn what God wants to reveal to you. And every single believer, every single person in this room, you have access to the voice of God. You have access to God speaking to you specifically, intentionally into your life. That's clearly what these verses are saying. What an, what an amazing gift that's extended to every one of us! Incredible gift. So, when Paul when he, he seeks, speaks of you know seeking um, of imparting wisdom among the mature, what, what is he getting at there? How how do we come to live in this? Because this is about growing in our lives. This is clearly for Paul. This is, he's saying, go on to maturity. Don't remain as infants. Going on to maturity, like Hebrews 6 speaks of. There, there's intentional steps in this. There's stuff to be pursued. There's steps to be desired by all of us as the church together. So Paul, he keeps coming back to this in his letters. Philippians 3, he he speaks of what this will look like for us. This is what he says in Philippians 3. Basically, he says, I want to know Christ. I haven't fully reached that point, but I'm pursuing with everything I have. I'm pursuing that goal. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm looking forward and anyone, he's saying, anyone who would have the same mind should, anyone who wants to be with me should have the same attitude. Anyone who's mature. So, This is an invitation to all of us, every single one of us. This is the invitation. It's about the intentional pursuit of spiritual maturity in our lives. This is about formation to the way of Jesus that flows into every part of our lives. There's this this song, I was listening to it this morning um, by Leland on on the new album. It's it's called Wellspring, if you want to look it up. but he, He sings about Jesus, our endless supply. And it was just like, yeah, like that, that encapsulates so much of this. This pursuit of the Spirit is just, Jesus is an endless supply for us. We, we, never, we never arrive at, at some place where we go, well, now I've arrived to maturity in Christ. That, that's not, we know that it's this ongoing process. We never, ever plateau. This is about our lives being changed, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's to be pursued together. That's what Paul's saying here. The church as a unified body, together, wanting more and more and more. So, in fact, when he he talks about having the mind of Christ, he's not saying that that is an individual pursuit. He's saying this is a pursuit together as the body of Christ, that we have the mind of Christ. He's saying it, we, together. It's not a... Well, I have the mind of Christ now, and because of that, I, I go and I make my own decisions because I've been given this. No, that's he's not saying that. He's saying together we figure out together. We pursue the Lord, and we discern what the mind of Christ is. It's together with the body. It comes through relationship. And this, this is going to fight. This fights consumerism in our lives. When, when we pursue living in the Spirit, we don't, we don't treat our... Our walk with God like a consumer. We're not just coming to consume. This is about relational investment. And that leads me to the second is to, uh, to conclude this morning. So living in the Spirit is not normative in this culture. Living in the Spirit is not automatic. and living, But living in the Spirit is for all of us. And lastly, living in the Spirit is is the best goal for our lives. It's the very, very best goal. The the invitation that's extended to all of us as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven to be led by His Spirit. It's the most extraordinary privilege in our lives. There There is no better goal in our lives to then to live submitted to the way of Jesus being directed led and empowered by his spirit that's, that's the best it's an incredible way to live when Paul when he directs us there back to Isaiah 64 he quotes it there in verse 9 it's to remind us we can't even fathom the goodness of God that he desires to pour into our lives as we follow his ways you can't even desire you can't so you can't even imagine how good that is it's really, really, really good. If, if, you, if you would ask people around you and, and, and just ask around a little bit and ask people, like, what, what's the goal of your life? What's, what, what are the goals of your lives? You'll get all sorts of different answers, but I would suggest that the prevailing theme in our culture would be wealth, comfort, happiness, again, understood as pleasure, health, or some combination of those take those. Those, those, That's what most answers would be based on. And yet, what these verses claim here is something entirely different. That living in the Spirit and pursuing this in our lives will actually lead to an experience of, of the power of God in our lives. We come to understand that our faith is set upon the foundation of God's power in our lives. And therefore, because of that, What do we experience? We experience the presence of God. We experience God's continual work in our lives. We experience God's power and presence solidifying us. So this this involves the continual pursuit of Jesus and inviting this continual work of renewal in our lives. It's the ongoing relationship that takes us deeper, brings supernatural transformation into our lives. I recall when I when I met Jesus at the age of 19 how he spoke to my heart and how he changed the very direction of my life. Like it was a turning and I'm so grateful because in those days it was the beginning of new life. But it didn't it didn't stop there. That when I met Jesus, it didn't stop there. That was that was just the beginning. It's been this continual choice. I'm going to keep pursuing God, I want more and more and more of what God has for me. Keeping, pursuing his presence and his work in my life. And that continues. That doesn't end. And so growing in discernment, understanding of spiritual truths. We, we have the privilege as we pursue these gifts of, and life in the Spirit. And it's for all of us. This is not just for a select group of people, living in the Spirit is the normative way for every single person in Christ. That we experience this relationship in a dynamic, experiential way, that we're hearing God, that He's revealing His purposes to us. It's incredibly, incredibly normative for those in Christ. Jen, I'll, uh, I don't know where Jen went, I was going to invite her up. Oh Jen, there we go. So I want to I want to um, I want to end this morning as Jen comes up by asking us some questions um, out of this text to to put before the Lord and to allow Him to speak to us. So first, where where is God inviting you to be intentional in pursuing more of His Spirit in your life? Or what is one thing that God is calling you to do? Where might the direction of your life actually need to change? I wanna, and I wanna put those questions before you to, to ask the Lord. Or perhaps, you're here and you actually don't know Jesus. You've, you've never actually made the decision to surrender your life to follow his way. Or you know that you're not surrendered now. You've never admitted your need for a Savior. But you long for that peace. You long for that joy. You long for that purpose in your life. So, what I want to do is I want to invite you then to follow the way of Jesus this morning. I want to invite you to pray with me to surrender your life and receive the love of God for you personally. So let's, let's bow our heads. Let's... Uh, Let's pray together. This isn't about what's going on around us. This is about between us and Jesus. This is about inviting Jesus in to do the work that he wants to do. Jesus, thank you that you came and you died for me. Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself sacrificially so that I could have life. And Jesus, thank you that you invite me to experience this life with you. You invite me to experience true life. And so, Lord, we, we say this morning, do you forgive us? Thank you that you forgive us of our sin. Thank you that you've taken all of it on the cross, that there's nothing that remains. There's nothing, nothing. Can hold me back from relationship with you. And Jesus, we invite you this morning to fill us with your Holy Spirit as we surrender our lives to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and would you help us and give us the desire to live according to your Spirit, that we would live our lives centered on you. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that You died for us. Thank you that we have new life in you.